from childhood till my university years. She, uh, she was my role model. If dad can do what he's done, as a disabled man, what can I do as a fully able-bodied man? Saying goodbye and mourning a great loss. Tonight, the tributes and tears for two giants of the political world. Good evening. It has been a somber 24 hours for people across the GTA. Many are still coming to terms with the death of former Mississauga Mayor Hazel McCallion, as thousands said their goodbyes to the province's late lieutenant governor. We have comprehensive coverage of both stories tonight, beginning with CTV Sean Leethong, who joins us from Mississauga City Hall. Sean. Or he, members of the community have been filing in all day, leaving messages of condolence to the late former mayor, Hazel McCallion. She's been a fixture in this city for 45 years, a woman who was small in stature, but in many ways larger than life. Writing a few short words for a woman who defined her city. I mean, everything you see in Mississauga is Hazel. Mississauga is Hazel. Hazel is Mississauga. Residents coming to City Hall today signing a book of condolence for Hazel McCallion, who died Sunday at the age of 101. When I see on the TV that he passed away yesterday morning, I was already crying because I miss her. A woman beloved by the community she served. What sticks out to me is her... Uh, her fight. McCallion was mayor of Mississauga for 36 years, a force in politics, a small woman with a huge presence and an influence that outstretched her power. Growing up, Hazel was my mayor from childhood till my university years. She, uh, she was my role model since I was 12, and she inspired me to be brave in a man's world. Quinny Chuan says McCallion was also kind, taking time for people, even coming to Chuan's wedding in 2010. I remember when she walked into the, the, the reception room at my wedding, suddenly the whole room went quiet. Suddenly all the cameras flash, 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 nonstop, because everybody was like, oh my gosh, Hazel's in the room. McCallion's vision for Mississauga saw it grow to become the third largest city in Ontario. Her legacy for fiscal responsibility looms large over council. Perhaps the longest message written today came from an emotional Bonnie Crombie, the current mayor of Mississauga. I think she's like the queen. I think we thought she would live forever. Saying this feels like a death in the family, Crombie reminisced about her relationship with her friend and mentor and being summoned to McCallion's office for what turned out to be a pivotal meeting back in 2014. I thought, oh no, what did I do wrong? I'm going to be dressed down by Hazel, who takes every opportunity to dress down prime ministers and premiers, ministers of the government. Now is my turn, a lowly counselor on her team. But actually, she announced to me that she was going to retire, and she encouraged me to put my name forward. And Mayor Crombie's office confirming today that the body of Hazel McCallion will lie in state here in City Hall. It's not confirmed when that will begin. As for funeral arrangements, nothing has been firmed up as well. We do know that Hazel McCallion would have turned 102 on February 14th. Reporting live, I'm Sean Thong Rahim. I'll send it back to you. Thanks for that, Sean. And Hazel McCallion's impact on her community members is far-reaching. Still to come, personal stories from her favorite ice rink and why a family from Iran says she's left a lasting impression. There is no shortage of ways to describe the late David Onley. 
As Ontario's lieutenant governor, he was a tireless advocate and a role model for millions of people. Tonight, he has been laid to rest as people gathered from all over to say their final goodbyes. Here's Scott Lightfoot with details of today's service. It was a procession fit for a representative of the Queen. With a military and police escort through the streets of Toronto, the casket of Ontario's 28th lieutenant governor arrived at this Young Street Church late this morning. David Onley was appointed to the vice-regal position in 2007 and served for seven years. It's such a privilege and he knew that, he loved the job and he did his very best to make sure that he used the platform, particularly uh, for those who suffer from various disabilities. Onley was the first lieutenant governor with a physical disability, an after-effect from a childhood battle with polio. He was an activist, but he was such a decent human being and, uh, and just helped so many people in his life. Among the hundreds of attendees today, many from Queen's Park, past and present. He's a great broadcaster and a, and a sterling human being. He's just an approachable, decent human being. He spoke to, to me a lot about kids and uh, growing up in Ontario to feel everyone would be welcome. Inside the church, Onley was remembered for a number of his roles. For many Ontarians, our first memories of David were watching him in our living rooms, on the television. A former broadcaster, again breaking barriers, is the first with a physical disability to regularly appear on television in this city. If dad can do what he's done, As a disabled man, what can I do as a fully able-bodied man? Onley was also remembered as a devoted husband and father. My dad's greatest wish was for all disabled people to have the ability to fully participate in the social, cultural, and economic life of Canada. Onley's legacy as an advocate for those with disabilities touched on repeatedly during the service. My present mobility challenges are small and temporary. I can't pretend to even begin to understand what David must have gone through every day. Even the minister leading today's service and currently using Onley's old mobility scooter as he recovers from surgery shared how Onley made him better understand the challenges millions face every day. At the conclusion of the service, Onley's casket was removed from the church and taken just a few meters down the road to Mount Pleasant Cemetery, leaving behind a legacy of change for those who came after him. Scott Lightfoot, CTV News. Let's take a first look at your weather forecast and the start of what is about to be a very chilly week. Toronto has issued an extreme cold weather alert and is opening four warming centers tonight. They are located at Metro Hall, the Scarborough Civic Center, Cecil Community Center and the Mitchell Field Community Center in North York. Lindsay Morrison joins us now with a look at the current conditions and it definitely felt cool today but it's about to get cooler. Yeah this is just the beginning Michelle. Uh, I have particular concern Thursday night through Saturday morning and I'll show you why coming up in our forecast. Let's begin though with a look at the satellite and radar. Some parts of the GTA getting some flurries or even some light snow at this hour. Meanwhile it is snow squalls for areas around Georgian Bay. Snow squall warnings in place along with a winter weather travel advisory for accumulating snow and reduced visibility. 
Temperature wise, yes, we're already chilly. It's minus three degrees. It feels like minus nine, but over the next couple of days, we are talking daytime highs. Colder than that, overnight lows in the minus teens in some cases, and at one point this week into the minus 20s. There's the extreme cold weather alert issued by the city of Toronto. Lots more to come in your weather forecast for now, though, Michelle. Back to you. Thanks, Lindsay. Police tonight are investigating a daytime bank holdup near Keel and Dundas. Our CTV News chopper was up over the scene early this afternoon. Officers got the call at around 1.30. They say the robber was reportedly armed, but no injuries were reported. No suspect info has been released at this time. And if you are out and about tonight in Toronto, best to be on the lookout for a specific member of the city's wildlife community. A coyote has been spotted roaming our streets once again, but it's not in an area you may expect. CTV Siobhan Morris joins us with the details. Siobhan. Raheem, we are hearing a lot of surprise from people that this coyote wasn't seen in a ravine or some wooded area. But here on Queen's Key, a stone's throw away from the Gardner, the Rogers Centre and the CN Tower. We have seen video uh, surfaced today of this coyote prancing along Keen's, Queen's Key, not far from Harbourfront Centre. Now, as strange as it might look to you to see a coyote in such an urban environment, Toronto Animal Services actually says this is pretty common, especially this time of year. January and February, that's mating season for coyotes, so they might be a little bolder as they are out looking for a mate. They will generally, though, stay away from humans, so we're not really in much danger, typically speaking. But we did talk to some people today about how they're feeling about the coyote nearby. Here's some of what they had to say. Hello? <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, don't want her fighting it. She's a wee princess, I guess. So, ah, down, will you? Uh, but yeah, no, a little nervous, but hopefully it's gone. Well, in a way, it's uh, it's interesting. It's, uh, it's nice to hear that, uh, you know, <laughs> wildlife is around uh, the downtown core. That's great. It's crazy seeing there's so many dense buildings around here. Um, so that's kind of curious. And I guess there's a lot of people with dogs around here, so that'd be interesting as well. I always expect to kind of watch for them around like five or six when we're out walking, not nine o'clock when like the rest of the city is up and moving around. So it's a little strange, but just have to be aware of them and be careful. Toronto Animal Services says if you do encounter coyote, you shouldn't run, but you should make as much noise as possible to try and scare the animal off. For dog walkers, just keep your dog on a leash. If you have a smaller animal, it might be a good idea to pick them up and carry them if you do see a coyote close by. Reporting live, I'm Siobhan Morris. Raheem, back to you. Thank you, Siobhan. Two people, including a police officer, are recovering tonight following an early morning crash in Brampton. A cruiser and another vehicle collided at Rutherford Road at Arenda Road just after 3. Paramedics say a police officer and the driver of a vehicle were both taken to hospital with minor injuries. The driver was arrested for dangerous driving and other offences. A major mess to show you along Highway 409. A truck rollover and diesel spill forced the closure of all westbound lanes at Highway 427. It happened around 3.30 this morning and restricted access to both Terminals 1 and 3 at Pearson Airport for much of the day. Minor, minor injuries were reported here. The TTC says it's adding more staff to its daily system to address recent safety issues. The city is deploying more than 50 security guards across the TTC on a temporary basis. The city says each are experienced with members of the homeless population and training in mental health, first aid and overdose prevention. Nearly two dozen outreach workers will also be made available. 160 TTC employees and police officers were added to the system last week to bolster security. 
The new measures follow a rash of violence on city transit, including the stabbing of a teen boy and a reported swarming attack on two TTC employees. Well, city gridlock has been on the minds of Toronto councillors for much of the day and one bike lane that has been under a lot of scrutiny. At issue is a temporary installment along Young Street in one of its busiest sections and whether it should survive. CTV's Janice Golding joins us now from Young and St. Clair to explain. Janice. Hi, Michelle. These bike lanes have been in place for the last year and a half now, and it's causing a lot of com uh, commotion in the community. About half the people we spoke to today say they like the lanes. The other half say they want them gone. In a city that's getting busier and is still working on reducing road-related injuries and deaths, this is just what we need. The bike lanes on Young Street between Bloor and Davisville help separate cars from cyclists, but they're also dividing the community. I am scared in the bike lanes, not outside the bike lanes. And one of the reasons is uh, it's not possible for people to pass. Before the pilot, I avoided Young. But now I walk and cycle along it almost every day. Today, the Infrastructure and Environment Committee heard from the public and reviewed a staff report which recommends that the dedicated lanes, which have been in place since the summer of 2021, be made permanent. After 18 months of the active TO Midtown Complete Streets pilot, the report found cycling trips increased between 57 and 250 percent, and that pedestrian trips increased by 59 to 145 percent. Beyond that, vehicle travel times in both directions had increased by less than 70 seconds. While the report calls a project a success, people in the community are split. I find it difficult when I have to drive, and also, but the more important thing is that Sometimes emergency vehicles can't get through. I do agree bike lanes to be separate because this is also helps us as drivers to be more careful. There's like five, six months of winter in Canada and to have bicycle lanes when there's only a bare minimum number of people who are actually bicycling during the winter months you know, to me, that's a waste of road space. Online, the debate is just as divided. Nearly 6,200 people have signed a petition opposing the bike lanes, while around 8,650 people have signed a petition in favour of the lanes. The motion passed unanimously at the committee level today. The matter will now go before City Council as a whole, who will vote on the bike lanes at their next meeting next week on February the 6th. Reporting live from Janice Golding, now back to Raheem. Thanks for that, Janice. Mourning the loss of a hockey icon, Hall of Famer Bobby Hull has passed away. We'll take a closer look at the accomplishments of the man known as the Golden Jet, as well as his troubles off the ice. A new poll suggests doctors and medical students are on board with Ontario's plan to quickly recognize licenses and training from other provinces. The Canadian Medical Association survey shows 95% of respondents are supportive of pan-Canadian licensure. Those polls suggesting rolling back barriers would improve access to health care in rural and remote communities. The CMA says Canada is facing a crisis and needs to find alternative solutions to deliver care. Meanwhile, an NDP request for an emergency debate on private health care was rejected in the House of Commons this afternoon. Health care was a major focus today as MPs returned to work on Parliament Hill and so was the economy. CTV's Annie Bergeron-Oliver has the details on that. Oral 
questions. After a six-week break, Parliament is back in session. After eight years of this Prime Minister, we have 40-year highs in inflation. We have 32% increase in crime. The Conservative leader stands up, crosses his arms, throws up his hands and says everything is broken. Well, that's not what Canadians are living through, Mr. Speaker. The square off on inflation setting the stage for a political season likely to be dominated by the affordability crisis, especially with a federal budget looming. For the Liberals, they can't make a mistake. Because if they make a mistake on the one side, they'll have Pierre Poilier pick up support. And then if they don't do enough, they'll be facing Jugmeet Singh and the New Democrats, who you know will put the squeeze on the Liberals to help and to spend. Healthcare also a major priority. Next week, the Premiers will be in Ottawa to meet with the Prime Minister and hopefully hammer out deals on healthcare and a funding increase. The fundamental thing that we want to see in this deal is that we solve the healthcare crisis that we're in. And... The deal will be a failure if it doesn't include major commitments to hire more healthcare workers. Half of Canadians are struggling to find a family doctor and about six million do not have one at all. Catherine Thompson is one of those statistics. For the last six years, she's been driving at least an hour and a half to see a doctor because she can't find one in her home city of Oshawa. It would be much easier to have care nearby and build that relationship with your family physician that we're just not able to do because we can't find that access to care. In a statement issued today, the premiers reiterated their expectation that the federal government increase health transfers to 35 percent, despite indications that the prime minister isn't looking for a one-size-fits-all approach. Annie Bergeron Oliver, CTV News, Ottawa. Pakistan is vowing stern action against those responsible for a deadly attack on a mosque today. Funerals were held for many of the victims. At least 59 people were killed. More than 150 others were injured in the suicide bombing. Most of the casualties were officers. The attack happened inside a police compound in the northwestern city of Peshawar. An inquiry is underway into how the assailant breached such a heavily fortified security zone and whether there was inside help. There has been no claim of responsibility. We are much better off on the COVID-19 front than a year ago. But today, the World Health Organization says the virus remains a global health emergency. Since the beginning of December, weekly reported deaths have been rising. In the past eight weeks, more than 170,000 people have lost their lives to COVID-19. And that's just the reported deaths. We know the actual number is much higher. The WHO says vaccines and treatments have changed the pandemic situation considerably, but it believes the pandemic continues to require careful management. It also has concern about the continued evolution of the virus and a substantial decrease in the reporting of data. However, the extended global emergency declaration is not expected to change much here in Canada. We're going to stay the course. We still take it seriously. We still have... Um, you know, uh, vaccines uh, and uh, therapeutics. We still are sharing our data uh, nationally and, and internationally. And of course, I'm not saying this is a perfect plan. There certainly are, there are elements for improvement in our national and subnational approach to COVID-19, but it will not impact what we do here in, in Canada. 
The WHO says it agrees with the decision of International Health Regulations Emergency Committee. It determined COVID-19 is probably at a transition point, but remains a dangerous disease capable of causing substantial damage to people and healthcare systems. Starting tomorrow, British Columbia will decriminalize small amounts of illicit drugs for personal use. We know that criminalizing people who use drugs causes harms and does not, as we are absolutely sure, um, decrease the use of illegal drugs. And we've seen that, the impact of that across uh, this province in particular. Users 18 and older will be allowed to possess a combined two and a half grams of certain drugs. They include heroin, fentanyl, crack, powder cocaine and ecstasy. The three-year pilot project is intended to reduce stigma, which can prevent many from accessing services. Over 1,000 people have fatally overdosed in the province from street drugs since it was declared a public health emergency in 2016. Canadian Cardinal Malc Ouellette is retiring at the age of 78. He says after more than a dozen years as perfect of the dicastery for bishops, three of which were beyond the age limit for the position, it is time for me to take on new challenges, always in the service of the church and the Holy See, and this as April 12th when I leave my current position. The Quebec Cardinal oversaw the Vatican's powerful bishop's office. Earlier this month, the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Quebec City confirmed it had received a second complaint of sexual misconduct made against Wallet. He has denied the accusations. The hockey world is remembering one of its greats tonight. The Golden Jet, Bobby Hull, has died. His legacy will be as much about the excitement he generated on the ice as the controversy he created off it. CTV's Allison Hurst joins us live from the Hockey Hall of Fame where she's been speaking with fans. Allison. Raheem, we spoke with a number of fans who remember Bobby Hull's ability to score goals and that blistering slap shot. The Golden Jet, whose name is etched into the history books and some of hockey's most prestigious awards, Bobby Hull has died. It's uh, kind of a sad day for all of hockey, both American and Canadian too. Michael Rosar was at the Hockey Hall of Fame with his son when he heard the news. It was really sad and I was glad that we were here. I got to share with my son, you know, to see his jersey. Born in Belleville, Hull had a celebrated 23-year pro career, playing with Chicago, Winnipeg and Hartford. The Golden Jet, that was... Uh, that was, he was a big name in those times. Joe Wilkinson remembers watching him play and that monster slap shot. I remember he used a really curved hockey stick and I was playing hockey at the time and he had this stick with a, a wicked curve on it. Hull was the first professional hockey player to score more than 50 goals in a season and won the Stanley Cup with Chicago in 1961. It's a terrific contract and I really appreciate it. Then in 1972 became the first hockey player to earn a million dollars. He became the face of the NHL but what was different about him nobody really at that at that time was that gregarious. He was so outgoing, so charismatic, so willing to do whatever he could for each and every fan. The Golden Jet was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1983 and his jersey was retired by both Winnipeg and Chicago. I've never had this kind of feeling. While he was a star on the ice, off, Hull faced legal and family issues. He was accused of abuse by two of his wives, convicted of assaulting a police officer, and stoked controversy for comments about Adolf Hitler and the black population in the U.S. 
I am deeply offended by false states, statements attributed to me with respect to Adolf Hitler and the black community. Being a great athlete in any sport, you know, doesn't give you a past when you're not a great human being, but who of us is perfect? His, his, I'm not trying to excuse anything he, he may have done. Commissioner Gary Bettman released a statement saying the NHL mourns the passing of one of its most iconic and distinctive players. We send our deepest condolences to his son, fellow Hockey Hall of Famer, Brett, the entire Hull family, and the countless fans around the hockey world who were fortunate enough to see him play or have since marveled at his exploits. Hull was 84 years old. The family has asked for privacy at this time, and Hull's cause of death has not been released. Reporting live, I'm Allison Hurst. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Allison. Coming up, stopping youth violence before it starts. How a local program is working to better understand and address the root causes of crime involving young people. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, some drivers are trying to save money on car insurance by dropping collision coverage. But a woman was shocked when she was involved in a hit-and-run accident and found out she will have to pay for the damages. All of my reports, that's just ahead. So the Arctic air that's headed our way will be significant because we haven't had a whole lot of it so far this season. Coldest night, that was on Christmas Eve at about minus 15 degrees. And the record uh, lows around this time of year are about minus 26. We might not break records, but it will be some of our coldest air that we've experienced in a couple of years. There's a little bit of relief from the extreme cold, though, a little later into the weekend. I'll show you what I mean with a look at your seven-day forecast coming up next. And stay with us. We've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV. Ontario drivers pay some of the most expensive car insurance premiums in all of the country, and some people are looking for ways to cut costs. To legally drive, it's mandatory to have liability insurance. And while you can save money dropping collision coverage, it's a big decision. With more is Pat Forn on Consumer Alert. Pat. It is Raheem and Michelle, a Toronto woman, wanted to save money on her car insurance, so she dropped collision from her policy. But last month, she was the victim of a hit-and-run accident and is shocked that she will have to pay to repair her car. I'm very disappointed. I'm very hurt. Nyasha Brown of Toronto was stopped at a red light last month when the driver of a pickup truck slammed into her 2016 Honda Civic, crushing in the back and the front of her car. The guy, he hit me from the back and he threw me onto the car that was in front of me. Brown says she was dazed by the crash, but got out to speak with the driver who hit her. All he just said to me, sorry, we'll exchange information. I said to him, okay. I went back to my car to retrieve my information. By the time I got out my car in a split second, he already gone. Brown is working two jobs to pay her family's bills and to save money drop collision coverage from her insurance policy. Since the other driver left the scene of the accident, she will have to repair her car herself, something she says she can't afford to do. I'm hoping that I can um, find this person to take full responsibility for what he has done. The Insurance Bureau of Canada says if a driver hits your vehicle and leaves, liability coverage does not cover repairs to your car. That would be considered a hit and run. And if you don't have collision, there would be no coverage under your policy for that. 
Brown is insured with Bel Air Direct. CTV News reached out to the company and a spokesperson said for privacy reasons they couldn't speak to her case, but that if additional evidence becomes available, the outcome on a claim may change. Following further investigation, Bel Air Direct has now agreed to fully cover Brown's vehicle and provide her with a rental car, which was a massive relief for Brown. I'm so thankful and so grateful that you guys are there to help others, not only myself. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And it's recommended to keep collision coverage on your vehicle unless it's very old or not worth very much. According to Toronto Police, there were more than 5,000 hit and runs in Toronto last year and more than 6,000 the year before. On your side, I'm Pat Foray. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. Beginning tomorrow, Shoppers Drug Mart will no longer be offering plastic bags to customers at checkout. The retailer making that announcement only just today, advising people to be prepared to bring their own bags. The company says its stores will offer reusable alternatives at a cost. The first phase of the federal government's ban on single-use plastics came into effect last month. Well, this is certainly a dose of winter weather that we're feeling. Maybe not so much in the way of snow. I know we had a few centimeters over the weekend. But in terms of the temperatures, now things are really starting to settle in. Mm -hmm. We've got the snow. Now we've got the cold. This is a solid January, and we're moving into February this week. Absolutely. And January, I think, overall is going to be uh, remembered for being warmer than normal. But these final days and the first couple of days of February, a little bit of a different story. Uh, we're going to take you through your seven-day forecast. And these are some temperature values we have not yet seen this season, so time to dig out the layers if you haven't already done so. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. We're not alone when it comes to the cold weather. In fact, we're in good company. Just about every major Canadian city experiencing some form of cold air, uh, below seasonal in many areas, and wind chills tonight in parts of the prairies, northern Ontario, and in through central and northern parts of Quebec. It is going to feel into the minus 40s or even close to minus 50. There are extreme cold warnings in place from northern Alberta right through to Labrador. Might see some of these uh, sink a little bit further into southern Ontario as this week goes on. And here's why. Colder air is going to be pretty dominant. There's already an extreme cold weather alert issued by the City of Toronto in place, and that's because uh, it allows those warming centres to open for tonight. It's not so much the evening. If you're stepping outside tonight, you might think, well, it's not that cold. It's more so once we move past midnight and into the pre-dawn hours tomorrow that we're really going to be feeling the chill. Oftentimes, our coldest temperature at this point in the season comes just before sunrise. And then tomorrow afternoon, I'm expecting we'll get a little bit of sun mixing in which might help us out but at minus five degrees we're still going to be a couple of degrees below seasonal and believe it or not it gets colder than that as the week goes on let's talk about the flurries that are falling in some parts of the gta predominantly toronto to the west but now starting to see a little bit of light snow in through durham region and still we're looking at a pretty active weather pattern around georgian bay snow squall warnings in effect for the bruce peninsula as well as parts of muskoka perry sound as well as the port carling area 
winter weather travel advisories around Blue Mountain as well as Barrie. Here's the forecast radar. That's about midnight tonight. Again, these squalls are going to oscillate a little bit, so some areas are going to see snow and then there will be a little bit of a break. Tomorrow, we're expecting a break in the clouds around the GTA so we can enjoy that. More of that as we make our way into the day on Wednesday. That's the trade-off with this colder air is we are expecting some sun over the next couple of days. But again, the cost is overnight lows into the minus teens. Look at Friday night and into Saturday. We're expecting the temperature to fall into the minus 20s. Factor in the wind chill, well, with the wind chill, I should say, it's going to feel closer to minus 30, and then that's going to trigger uh, some lake effect snow as we make our way into the weekend. But by Sunday, much more comfortable. Daytime high around freezing. That's your look at the weather for now. Raheem, back to you. Thanks for that, Lindsay. Well, the city of Toronto has seen a recent spike in crime involving young people, prompting calls to address the root causes of violence. A group led by people with unique lived experiences is working with at-risk youth to engage them in positive activities. CTV's Natalie Johnson reports. From the swarming death of a homeless man to attacks on the TTC, the city has been shaken by a recent spate of violence allegedly perpetrated by young people, the suspects as young as 13 years old. What risk factors would lead to such incidents? It's a question being asked by experts and officials across the city who are in search of root causes. What are the roots of the systemic inequities and barriers? Root causes that a group called YACE, Youth Association for Academics, Athletics and Character Education, is looking to address. A program that looks to disrupt violence by setting young people in vulnerable circumstances on a positive path. We kind of have to go back to the big picture rather than just being fixated on the incident and how to solve it using a band-aid solution. The outreach staff help young people with schooling, housing and employment and set them up for success by helping do things like applying for an ID or opening a bank account. Caseworkers they can connect with. We've hired them as folks who have lived experiences uh, with violence, with poverty, in some cases um, having been formerly incarcerated because it allows them to be in community settings it allows them to try to understand the complexities involved instead of judging the people they're serving. All of us have been through real life experiences ourselves, um, have been through a lot of trauma ourselves and have hands-on experience in certain, in certain areas. Um, we're very relatable. Curtis Burton got involved with YACE when he was 12 years old and says his life could have gone down a different path without the support of the program. Able to talk to people that have gone through uh, difficult rough patches and just as you do uh, in your life, um, it makes all the difference in the world. And having the support system to say, hey, I went through this. Um, I know it sucks right now, but believe me, you'll get through it. Helping young people steer clear of violence or remove themselves from it. A great deal of them have now two feet out, uh, out of it because they realize that there are opportunities and there are um, other things that they can be doing. Natalie Johnson, CTV News. Also tonight, a little-known low-budget film at the center of an Oscar controversy. Why the nomination of The Two Leslie Star is raising questions about the campaign and involvement from A-listers. On air, online, on every platform. Escape tragedy by mere moments. CTV News Toronto. A story you'll only see here. Winner of the Canadian Screen Award for Best Local Newscast. We have developing details. Watch weeknights at 6.
A week after the Oscar nominations were announced, a controversy is brewing. Now the Academy is investigating how one of the best actress nominations came to be. And with more on that is CTV's Andrea Case. Andrea. Good evening. I was going to say Nathan. Good evening, Raheem <laughs> and Michelle. Yeah, it's a jungle out there, perhaps. Many were surprised last Tuesday morning when Viola Davis starred the woman king who had earned Golden Globes, BAFTA, SAG, and Critics' Choice Award nominations was not nominated for an Oscar. Now, nothing is guaranteed, but the inclusion of Andrea Riseborough is raising questions. Andrea Riseborough into <laughs> Leslie. Up until the Academy Award nominations were announced last Tuesday, not many people had heard of the film To Leslie. The low-budget movie only earned $27,000 at the box office and quickly went to a streaming service. In a grassroots campaign, Mary McCormack, the wife of the film's director and her manager, asked their famous friends to support the film and Riseboro's performance, suggesting they post their support every day, even adding images and suggested hashtags for social media. Every eligible Academy member votes in all 23 categories for the winners, but only 1,302 eligible members of the Actors' Branch can vote for acting nominations. McCormick stated if only 312 of them put Riseborough at the top of their list, she would get a nomination. Kate Blanchett even called her out during her acceptance speech for her Critics' Choice Award. For years, studios and nomination hopefuls have campaigned for nominations. But Academy member and Titanic star Frances Fisher may have crossed the line when she posted the Woman King's Viola Davis and Danielle Detweiler from Till were a lock to get Best Actress nominations. So vote for Riseborough. Singling out the competition is forbidden by the Academy. That post has since been deleted. Canadian film director Francis Ann Solomon is an Academy member. It's unfortunate that it's um, pitted, you know, it's, it's pitting white women against black women um, and vice versa. Uh, so it's it's just a, a bit of a mess. The Academy did not mention Riseborough by name, but on Friday it announced we're conducting a review of the campaign procedures around this year's nominees to ensure that no guidelines were violated and to inform us whether changes to the guidelines may be needed in a new era of social media and digital communication. In the 95-year history of the Academy Awards, only two nominations have been rescinded. Charlie Chaplin for his 1928 film, The Circus, and Greg Russell, who was removed for Best Sound Mixing for 13 hours in 2016. Of course, you can watch the 95th Academy Awards right here on CTV on March 12th at 8 p.m. We'll see how it all works out. Reporting live, I'm Andrea Case. Michelle, I'll send it back to you. Thank you, Andrea. Toronto is putting on month-long programming at three museums to honor Black History Month. The city says the free February events will, quote, honor black freedom through music, culture, and storytelling that will uplift and warm the soul of those who experience it. The programs will be held at Spadina Museum, Mackenzie House, and Todd Morden Mills. Michael Jackson's nephew has been cast to play his uncle in a new movie about the King of Pop. Jafar Jackson says he is humbled and honored to bring his uncle's story to the screen. The 26-year-old is the son of Jermaine Jackson. Producers of the film Michael conducted a worldwide search to fill the role, but say it is clear Jafar was the only choice. 
France has acquired one of the last impressionist masterpieces still in private hands, thanks to the generosity of a European multinational. The Boating Party by French artist Gustave Caillebotte is now on display at the Musée d'Orsay in Paris. A nearly $47 million donation from luxury goods giant LVMH helped France add the painting to its national collection. The work was sold by Caillebotte's descendants. Ice. Tomorrow on CP24 Breakfast, former NHLer P.K. Subban on making hockey accessible to the next generation. CP24 Breakfast, where Toronto gets its everything every morning. It's a very sad time. You know, I, 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 I honestly thought she was one of those people like the Queen who would live forever, and she will live forever in all of our hearts. Updating our top stories, ongoing tributes to Hazel McCallion. Books of condolences have been set up throughout Mississauga for residents to pay their respects to the late former mayor. McCallion died on Sunday at the age of 101. His life of service is a call for each of us to commit to the same values of respect and inclusion. Dignitaries gathered to say a final goodbye to former Lieutenant Governor David Onley. The 72-year-old who died on January 14th was remembered as a champion of disability rights as well as a devoted family man. Crazy seeing there's so many dense buildings around here. Um, so that's kind of curious. And I guess there's a lot of people with dogs around here, so that'd be interesting as well. A coyote was spotted roaming downtown this morning and Toronto Animal Services says residents may see the animals more frequently at this time of year. The group says coyotes don't pose a danger to people but can be unsafe for small pets. Anyone who sees one is urged to call 311. In business, the electric vehicle price war is revving up. With more, here's Jacqueline Hansen from BNN Bloomberg. The classic Ford Mustang is known for its power. The Mustang Mach-E perhaps doesn't have that power when it comes to pricing. Ford is slashing the price on its electric Mustang by as much as $5,900. Its lowest priced Mustang model will now be about $46,000 U.S. The price cut comes even though Ford has already said the Mustang was unprofitable. The automaker says boosting production will help. Ford is playing catch-up to Tesla. Tesla cut prices on its electric vehicles by as much as 20%. Let's take a look at some of the closing market numbers for today. The Canadian dollar is trading lower, almost a half a cent, to 74.69 cents U.S. West Texas Intermediate Oil declined about $1.80 to a little under $78 U.S. a barrel. And Western Canadian Select declined about $1.40 to $54.30 U.S. a barrel. As for stock markets, the TSX fell roughly 140 points to 20,572.11. That is the latest in business. I'm Jacqueline Hansen of BNM Bloomberg. Just ahead, most hurricanes leave destruction, but Hurricane Hazel left a path of positivity. Remembering the force that was the former mayor of Mississauga, heartfelt memories from the lives she touched.
Given her record reign, most people have a memory of Hazel McCallion. She was a legendary force in municipal politics. But even outside of work, she was part of the community, drawing admirers everywhere she went, particularly at the rink. CTV's John Musselman reports. Rick Chason has been working at the Vic Johnston Community Centre for more than 50 years. The old arena with the wooden rafters is a landmark in Streetsville, known to locals as the Vic. It was also one of Hazel McCallion's favourite places. She'd always come on down the weekends and watch the kids if they were playing. Um, you never know when she was going to pop in. She always, she's always, like I said, she always looked after the Vic there and it was a, it was a big foundation for her like, and we loved her being here. McCallion didn't just come here to watch hockey, she also came to play well into her 80s. General Manager Jeff Duggan says it's one of his favorite memories. She would throw her skates on, grab a stick, take a puck, put her helmet on. Well, actually, one time we had to ask her to put her helmet on because I said it would be really, really crappy if something was to happen to her on, on our watch. Uh, but yeah, she would just go out and tool around for 20 minutes, half an hour by herself. I started playing hockey when my brother brought me home a pair of skates. He worked in Montreal when I was five. McCallion took part in this celebration video marking the arena's 60th anniversary in 2021. Hockey brings the community together. It means that the parents come with their kids and, uh, you know, I think of the, uh, the thousands and thousands of kids that came from around the area, not just Streetsville, to play hockey in this arena. Meanwhile, the Bovieri family of Mississauga has a different kind of connection to the former mayor. They helped her celebrate her 100th birthday. Mum Ziba says when she came to this country from Iran 20 years ago, she looked at Hazel McCallion as a force of nature. For me, as an Iranian woman, we came from, you know, the country that woman doesn't have any rights and is still fighting for the basic rights. Seeing that kind of woman, strong, powerful, energetic, it's very important. Her twin daughters say McCallion was so kind, inviting, and encouraging. She made me think that, like, I can do anything I want if I work hard for it. It's like, encourages us to do things uh, no matter how old you are or how young you are. Whether it was a picture at her front door or a lap around the ice, Hazel McCallion was always leaving a lasting impression. John Musselman, CTV News. Just an incredible woman. We all have a memory of yeah. Hazel McCallion, that's for sure. Let's get your weather because there's a lot going on this week. There is. So we've got the colder air coming a little bit later on, but starting as early as tonight. And we still have a few flurries out there, too. So let's begin with a look at the current satellite and radar. It's less a concern for the GTA and more if you're doing some traveling around the Barrie area, Georgian Bay, Bruce Peninsula, and in through Muskoka. Snow squall warnings are in effect, along with a winter weather travel advisory. Overnight tonight, eventually we drop into to the minus double digits with wind chill into the minus teens. And that's just the tip of the iceberg compared to what's in store a little bit later this week. Here's what you're waking up to tomorrow morning. And one more look at the seven day forecast. Not as cold on Thursday, which is also Groundhog Day, but Thursday night through Saturday morning looks to be the coldest. Michelle and Raheem. Thank you, Lindsay. And that's it for us. Be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our next local newscast at 1130. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us here at CTV News, thank you for watching. And we leave you now with more sights and sounds from today's service for former Lieutenant Governor David Onley. Have a good night.
He was a devoted husband, father, and grandfather. Helping to put a spotlight on the everyday barriers that people with disabilities face. The world is indeed a better place because of David Onley, and Canada is a better place because of David Onley.